I want to talk to you about how to defeat demons the biblical way. And I'm going to actually go over three different things that people do that are common mistakes. I'm also going to be covering some spiritual warfare myths. I'm going to show you how to drive out demons in the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking the fullness of the power of God. When you walk in the presence of the Holy Spirit, there is no devil that can stand against the one who is in you. Greater is he who is in me mm-hmm. than he who is in the world. Come on. That spirit in me is different than the spirit that's in the world. The scripture makes that very clear. So, okay, there's lots to go over. Make sure you have something that you can take notes with. That's going to be very key, especially as I'm going through this material. It's going to be very extensive. We got a Q&A at the end of the broadcast Um, But I want you to make sure that you're taking notes because there's going to be a lot of information coming at you. This is an intensive, basically, for those who want to go deeper. I'm talking about demons. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. And I'm talking about some of the religious nonsense that's causing people more bondage than actual freedom. Mm, So we're going to expose a lot of that religious stuff that gets in the way of the full flow of the Holy Spirit's power. Come on. Now, also, watch this in its entirety. You may be watching bits and pieces and hear something that you don't like or that you disagree with. Or you may hear me say something and say, well, David says says that and so and so says that. So maybe there's some confusion in you when you hear me say something and someone else say something. My advice to you, always side with the word of God. If it can be shown to you in the word, make sure you stick with what's in the word and nothing else. But I encourage you that as you watch this to watch this in its entirety so that you don't just hear bits and pieces and then place upon those beliefs something that you want to hear. Sometimes I'll say something and people will hear what I'm not saying, get all offended and say, well, I don't believe that, rather than coming to the word humbly and saying, Lord, what is it that you want to correct in me? So there will be bits and pieces that you hear that you may not like, but if you listen to it in its entirety, you will see that it's scripturally supported, biblically based, and therefore something that you also should believe. Now, I'm going to address, as I said, some common spiritual warfare religious doctrines. I'm going to show you what the Bible says about spiritual warfare, and I'm going to address these doctrines that people believe about spiritual warfare. I love casting out demons, and it's something that you should do regularly. You should be driving out demonic beings. I love casting out demons, especially to see the results of the after effect when the individual is set free from a demonic power and then goes on to live a godly life free of bondage, free of mental torment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's really liberating for them when a demon is cast out of them. And likewise, it's very liberating for the believer when a stronghold or a mindset is broken off of them. So we love casting out devils. I know you love casting out devils. And it's important that we do it the biblical way. And really, there are two extremes to this. On one side, you will see that there are some portions of the body of Christ that don't talk about it. And they live as though demonic beings aren't real. They live as though demonic possession is not a reality in our world today. They Mm -hmm. live as though everything that the Bible says about demonology is a metaphor or is only symbolic. Or maybe, more dangerously, they believe that it's archaic and outdated and Mm -hmm. no longer necessary for today. But that's one extreme of Christianity where they don't embrace the reality of casting out devils. They don't embrace the reality of the deliverance ministry. They don't embrace the reality of demons, and the Bible clearly talks about it. Then on the other extreme, we have those who are so deep in the demonology, they're drowning and they don't even know it. 
Basically, everything is a demon. Everything is a curse. There's no such thing as the flesh. They make you do all of these unbiblical rituals to find your freedom. They have conversations with devils. They tell you Christians can be demon-possessed, and they create doctrines that create problems so that they can present the solutions and look like the heroes. And that Mm. really is not what I want to do in either case. I don't want to present either extreme. I don't want to tell you that demons aren't real and you don't need to worry about them at the same time. I don't want you have you have you so reliant upon rituals that you actually don't actually flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. So come on. It's important we find biblical ground. Hear me now, please. Biblical ground. I've been in ministry now for almost 18 years. Can you believe that, Steve? Well, I believe it actually years. might be a little bit over that. Been wow. casting out devils for just as long. Come on. I've seen demons come out of people. I've seen multiple demons come out of people. And I'm telling you from both the word and experience, when the power of the Holy Ghost is involved, demons are no match for you. They go instantly at the command that's given under the power of the Holy Ghost. And I want to show you how to walk in that. Now, in February of 2021, so just about five or six months ago, I did an e-course on demons, deliverance, and spiritual warfare. Now, you have to understand that spiritual warfare is one of the topics I've covered extensively for as long as I've been in ministry. It's actually the Holy Spirit, prayer, and spiritual warfare are probably the three most common topics that I cover. But something different happened. In February of 2021, I released an e-course that was live, something similar to what you're watching right now. And when I released this e-course... I could not have been prepared for the response that it would get. I'm telling you, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of believers were set free from certain mindsets that kept them in perpetual bondage. They constantly needed deliverance. They constantly needed the next experience to feel free. But once they actually heard the truth of the word of God, they experienced liberty like they never had before. Mm. So that was the positive side of that. But the negative side, if you can call it that, was that when I did this e-course in February of 2021, it stirred up religious spirits. That's what Jesus does, you know. When Jesus begins to demonstrate his power, the fullness of his power, and when Jesus begins to make it look easy, when Jesus does away with all the rituals and the hard work that people say you need in order to do something, then religious spirits start to get upset because they like to place barriers between people and their freedom in Christ. And so... When I released this e-course in February of 2021, oh my goodness, the religious (laughs) spirits that were stirred. And in fact, it shifted the whole narrative in the YouTube community. Right, right. People went on the defensive and it kind of created this explosion of responses that ultimately brought this subject to a more, how shall I say, um, a more apparent light. It Mm. platformed the topic. And all I was doing was teaching what I had taught for years, which was the biblical truth about spiritual warfare. And then something was stirred with those religious spirits where they began to become upset because I teach what the Bible teaches in that it's very simple. You drive out demons by the power of the Holy Ghost. You use the word of God and you don't have to go through all of these barriers in order to be free. Now, that did upset some people and there was a great stirring. I can't tell you how many phone calls I got, how many messages I got, how many pastors contacted me upset with me because I was making their jobs look easier than they wanted it to look. And really all I was doing was showing what was in the scripture. And so this is by no means me bragging on an effect that I've had. It's not been me. It's been the word of God 100%. All I've been doing is 
being faithful to delivering the word of God. But I wondered why was that result so explosive? Why was there such a harsh response to it? Because I had been teaching on this all along. I'd been teaching on this for years. And it wasn't up until February of 2021 that I saw this type of response. And I thought, what was it that led to this sort of explosive pandemic going to cause a response when you release a spiritual warfare teaching? That doesn't make any sense. I'll explain it to you. When I released this spiritual warfare teaching in February 2021, I was basically echoing what I've always been saying for the past several years. But the reason it had such a heavy impact now and the reason it kind of shifted the narrative online and the reason that it's causing all of these responses is because of the pandemic. Let me explain this. This was the effect of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The pandemic isolated the body of Christ. Right. Oh, please hear me now, church. Please hear me now. This is so key. You see, the enemy is very cunning. He's very subtle. He likes to hide his assaults. The enemy brought about isolation through the pandemic. I believe that was one of the strategies of the enemy during the pandemic was to isolate individuals. So watch this now. Isolation is the breeding ground of fear. And fear is the foundation of superstition. Isolation is the breeding ground of fear. And fear is the foundation of superstition. Furthermore, superstition welcomes and encourages and cultivates religious doctrines. So then, when people went into isolation, they became fearful. And when they became fearful, they actually had their fears embodied in certain religious superstitions that hold no power but make sense to a fearful mind. Mm. A lot of what's taught in spiritual warfare is completely and totally based on paranoia, not the Word of God. And so we had this whole subculture of Christians who were isolated, and they were taking in teachings on demonology and deliverance like they would take in teachings on conspiracy theories. Mm. The same thing happened to the prophetic movement, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed. The same thing happened to the prophetic movement during the pandemic. Namely, prophetic unction began to be tied to politics, and it was also tied to conspiracy theories, and it created this polluted conglomerate of ideas, superstitions, and fears. So it happened in the prophetic movement. It happened in the spiritual warfare camp where this isolation became a breeding ground for religious superstition. So there are three mistakes that result from superstition. There are three mistakes that result from this type of fear-based thinking. Now, these are the three mistakes I'll briefly cover, and then I want to get into kind of the, the bulk of the teaching here. But here are three mistakes that people make when conducting spiritual warfare or teaching on spiritual warfare or deliverance and the like. Number one, they rely on religious rituals. Let me tell you something. When you're casting out demons, when you're dealing with demonic beings, the power of the Holy Ghost, not rituals, is what saves you. So that's number one. They rely on religious rituals. Number two, they build doctrines, entire doctrines, on experiences rather than the word of God. Mm. And number three, they don't understand the Holy Spirit's power. These are the three common mistakes that people make when conducting spiritual warfare. Now, let me be clear here. There is a very powerful move of the Holy Spirit happening right now. We're seeing it in our meetings. 
people getting delivered from drug addiction, from mental illness, people screaming, shaking under God's power, demons coming out of them. And that's wonderful, but we can't let superstition pollute what the Holy Spirit is doing in this mm -hmm, hour. Mm -hmm. I love driving out demons. I love casting out devils. I love seeing people go free. I love unsaved people being set free from their demons. I love saved people being set free from their strongholds or mindsets. So let's establish some truths here upon which we can all agree. And then let's begin to build the teaching here. And so we will have a foundation. So first and foremost, we must acknowledge this truth. Demons exist. If you mm -hmm. believe demons exist, I want you to type one right now in the comment section. Don't be ashamed. Don't let anyone say you're being religious or superstitious or you're being weird. Look, <laughs> demons exist, okay? James 2.19 says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, the scripture says, and they tremble in terror. Demons exist, believer. People of God, devils and demons exist, period. They're not metaphors for evil. They're not analogies for darkness. They're not ideas, figments of our imagination. They're not structures within literature. They are actual beings who exist in another realm and they have hate in their heart toward you. Mm. They hate God. They hate you. They want to take back dominion. They want to destroy your faith and they want to destroy everything that God has created that's good in this world. Demons exist. Second point here, demon possession is real. It's a reality. If you don't believe demon possession is real, you need to read your Bible. If you don't believe mm -hmm. demon possession is real, you need to go look and explain why Jesus cast out demons from people. Mark 1, 32 to 34 says this, That evening, after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch, so Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons, but because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. That's Mark 1, 32 through 34. The next point we must understand is that demons can influence believers. Remember, I talked about two extremes mm -hmm. here. On one extreme, there are those who pretend that demons don't exist and that they have no effect on the believer whatsoever. On the other extreme, we have those who think that there's a demon under every bush. They attach the name of a spirit to every problem, oh, mm -hmm. and they want you to go through rituals and special uh, rites of passage in order to find your deliverance. Neither that religious approach to demonic beings nor that ignorant approach to demonic beings is biblical. We see it here that demons can influence Christians in Ephesians 6.11. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So God gives us spiritual armor for a spiritual battle, which leads me to my next main point. Spiritual warfare should be a part of every believer's life. Please mm. hear me now. Spiritual warfare should be a part of every believer's life. Second Corinthians 10, three through four says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Now, as I said, there are certain religious ideologies that find their way in when there's a fear-based foundation for demonology and deliverance and spiritual warfare or your doctrines of those things. 
All of these are religious in nature. So what I'm about to cover may be somewhat different than what you've been told, and this is why we have to lay a firm foundation. Remember this, if you're confused about something, it's because deep down inside you're believing a lie about something. Mm. I'm going to say that again. Wow. If you're confused about something, that's because deep down inside you're believing a lie about something. In other words, if I have two conflicting ideas, say, for example, a young man is dating a girl who isn't saved. Now, we know that the scripture teaches that the believer should not date or marry someone who is unsaved. It's not wise. It's not good. And it actually will lead to more destruction than good if something isn't corrected there. But let's say that young man goes seeking advice from his friends and his pastors, and he goes to all the different people to hear their opinions, and he doesn't stop until he hears the opinion that he wants. Isn't that what we do often? We mm. wait till we right. hear the opinion that we want, and we say, oh, yes, I agree. Thank you for telling me the truth, when in fact we just have itching ears and we want to be told what we want to hear. So imagine this young man who's dating an unsaved girl goes around asking for advice and he finally finds the advice that he wants to hear, which is, oh yeah, you can date her. You can evangelize her. Dating is not a missionary field, as they say. <laughs> so he hears the advice that he wants, but then he reads in the scripture that light has no fellowship with darkness and that we ought not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, and now he says, oh, well, now I'm confused because part of me thinks I should be with her, and the other part of me sees the Scripture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which one of those is a lie? Mm. It's the one that contradicts the Scripture. But here's the reality. Right. You will always be confused if you try to hold on to all the beliefs. There are going to be beliefs that you have that just aren't biblical. And in fact, there are going to be beliefs that you have that just aren't reality. And you have to humble yourself before the word of God and embrace the truth. Get rid of the religious nonsense that lacks true power. Get rid of the religious requirements that make people go through hoops in order to find their freedom and instead embrace the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power. I'm telling you, I love the Holy Spirit. He's my friend. I know him and I can tell you his power is beyond imagination. Amen. He has more power than we realize. And I'm telling you this. When you ditch the religious nonsense, you're going to upset religious people. But you're also going to step into the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power. So my encouragement to you is if there is confusion on this topic, you hear something and then you go, wait a minute, but I thought this or I thought that or I was always told this. Then you have to ask yourself, what do you believe? The word of God or the things you've been taught because of religious tradition. And my advice to you, again, is always side with the Word of God. I'm talking about having such power that when you drive devils out, they instantly flee from that individual. I'm talking about having such power that a simple touch can break a drug addiction. I'm talking about such power that a spoken word can break an alcohol addiction. I'm talking about such power that a simple prayer can bring peace to that mind, mm, calm those emotions. I'm talking about the delivering power of the Holy Ghost, and it's yours, it's in you, and I'm going to show you again how to walk in that. Now, let me say this. First of all, Steve, how's everybody doing in the chat? Well, they are doing amazing, and they're all agreeing. I see all your comments, all your likes, and I also see a lot of comments saying, yes, amen, I received that power. Um, I also see God bless you. I say amen, amen, and amen from Carla. I mean, people are lighting the chat up. It's amazing. Keep it going, chat, as, as David continues to preach. Yes, so this is an amazing, amazing opportunity, I feel, to liberate people 
from religious thinking. And if you want to help us in liberating God's people from religious thinking and stepping into the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost, then make sure you leave a like on this video right now and a couple comments because that actually helps spread the reach of this live stream. So do it right now. We don't just ask you to do it for fun. It actually makes a huge difference. All of you together can overcome YouTube suppression. If you simply comment, 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 and make sure that you've liked the video. Okay. So where then do we begin? As I said, we begin with the word. With me, you're always going to get the word. I'll tell you when there's an opinion of mine, but I don't stand by my opinions too strongly when I'm teaching on a platform like this. I will give you the word, the word, the word, the word. The word contradicts things in me. The word has confronted me about certain belief systems. And at times, the word may contradict what you believe. But always side with the word. Now, here's an often misunderstood point that I make. Because I want to make a point about experience and the role of experience. And one of the things that people hear, mistakenly, is that I don't believe that experience counts. Now, wait a minute. Come to any one of our services. You're going to see people slain in the power of the Holy Ghost. You're going to see demons coming out of people instantly. You're going to see the sick healed. You're going to see people putting their crutches down. You're going to see people experiencing the miraculous, speaking in tongues. They're going to sense fire on them. They're going to sense uh, water moving in the atmosphere. They're going to sense electricity pulsing up and down their beings. I'm telling you, I believe in experiencing the power of the Holy Ghost. I mean, Encounter TV, what's the tagline? Encounter TV, encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. But whereas experience has a place, it is not a priority. So remember this, experience has a place, but not a priority. The word is priority. God Amen. interacts with us. And as God interacts with us, we have experiences in him. You can't get away from that. You look through the scripture, you look at the gospel itself, you look at the New Testament, you look at the book of Acts, you look at the prophets and how mm. they experience the glory of God, and you will see time and time and time and time again that people have experiences in the power of God. So don't hear what I'm not saying. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2, 4 says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So it's not just words, there's power, there's demonstration behind what we do. And there should be demonstration behind what you do. So experience matters. But here are some rules that we should lay down, groundwork, foundations for interpreting our experiences. So number one, and write this down, please. Put it in the comments, please, someone. Number one, experience is valid only when it's consistent with God's word. Yes, experience has a place, especially if an experience aligns with God's word. It can be a healthy benefit to your spiritual growth. So no one is saying that experience doesn't count. Rather, what we're saying here is that experience has to be put in its proper place. So experience is valid only when it's consistent with the word of God. Number two, here's a great piece of advice for you. And I'm telling you, this has saved me a lot of trouble, okay? I've, I've applied this. This is wisdom I've learned from powerful men and women of God who've helped correct me and helped guide me. And I'm telling you this, this part right here, this has saved me so much trouble. Number two, interpret your experience through God's word. 
not God's word through your experience. Mm. If what my experience tells me contradicts God's word in nature, then I'm either misreading my experience or the experience is suspect. For example, there was a woman who woke up at like three in the morning and she saw that the time was 747 and she somehow interpreted that to mean that she should get on a Boeing 747, fly to another country and become a missionary. And that's what she did in response to that. I've had people come to me and say, Brother David, I had a dream where an angel, I don't know, they'll say something um, random, like an angel was dancing and spraying <laughs> glitter on me. What does Whoa. it mean? I'm thinking it means you had a pretty crazy dream. I don't know <laughs> right. if there's much else in there. And yes, God speaks through dreams. I have teachings on that. The Holy Spirit speaks through dreams. That, of course, we know. That's biblical. But to base everything, your whole life, to change the trajectory of the call of God on your life, to hang on a prophetic word from someone who called you out in a crowd, that is not necessarily the wisest thing to do. Rather, take those experiences. Yes, they count. Take them and then interpret them to the word of God and see what you get on the other end of that filter. Number three, experience is a result of seeking God but not the purpose of seeking God. We don't seek God to have an experience. We seek him to have him. And when we have him, experiences will often result. Some are all flustered and stressed because they don't feel God. Brother David, I don't feel God. I didn't feel God. What does it mean? Doesn't mean much to seek God and experiences will follow. So Amen. those three rules for experience. Number one, experience is valid. When it's consistent with God's word. Number two, interpret your experience through God's word and not God's word through your experience. Number three, experience is a result of seeking God, but not the purpose of seeking God. So understand, to understand spiritual warfare, we must first and foremost lay the foundation of the word of God. We don't start with experience and then try to explain our experiences through the word. Rather, we start with the word, lay that foundation, and then as we have experiences in spiritual warfare and deliverance, we then interpret those experiences, filter what doesn't belong, correct the behavior so that we can walk in the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost. So everything we need to fight the demonic, remember this, please, everything that we need in order to fight the demonic is in the word. Come There's on. nothing that's not mentioned in the word that's essential to spiritual warfare. Otherwise, the Lord would have put it in the scripture. It's not like God is watching over and going, oh, my goodness, I forgot to tell them about this. No, I forgot <laughs> to tell them about that. Or, oh, my goodness, that, right. that, that, that symbol right there, it's a triangle. They're not supposed to look at that. What's going to happen? Yeah, I'm serious. People actually have these issues with triangles. Mm. Like when I talk with my hands sometimes, I'll accidentally make like a triangle with my hand. <laughs> oh, no. They'll pause the video, Steve, and they'll say, look, there it is. He's yeah. in the Illuminati. I'm thinking, right, Illuminati? Right. I don't think they'd invite me in the Illuminati. I'm not exactly <laughs> the guy they'd have. And they'll, 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 I'm serious. They, they'll go, well, well, it's a triangle, so it must be demonic. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Now these people actually believe that the devil owns some geometric shape that God created. Mm, How is that even come possible? On, come on. No, I just made a symbol with my hands. So people, you know, they, they get all worked up over their experiences, and then they go to the Word and try to make the Word agree with their experience. But please don't do that. Start with the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. And then we can go and look at the experiences. And some of them, of course, are valid. So Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. I love this. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Wow, that's powerful. Second mm -hmm. Timothy 3.15-17 says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have all given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now watch this, verse 16. 
all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do what? Every good work. Wait a minute now. Let, let's, let's, let's park it here for a second. Let, let me just show you something. <clears throat> second Timothy 3.17 says, God uses what? The word, the word. To what? Prepare and equip his people to do what? Every good work. This means... There's no necessary spiritual act, spiritual dynamic, or spiritual ability that's not sufficiently covered in Scripture. Oh, please hear this. There's no necessary spiritual act, spiritual dynamic, or spiritual ability not sufficiently covered in Scripture. You're not going to find the dynamic that the Bible is missing. You're not going to find the spiritual act that the Bible forgot to mention. You're not going to find a spiritual ability that the Scripture just left out for some reason. Bottom line, if it's not supported by the Scripture, by either direct teaching or in scriptural principle, like, for example, the slain in the Spirit phenomenon, then dismiss it and discard it. So, for example, the slain in the Spirit phenomenon. People say, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Well, I wouldn't practice it if it wasn't biblical. I actually wrote an entire article on how it can be supported with Scripture. Maybe not in direct chapter and verse where it says, and thus they laid hands upon them and they fell backward. It doesn't say that directly, but you can actually see all of the principles of this phenomenon in Scripture. So when put together, Scripture with Scripture, and you study it as a whole, you see that the slain in the Spirit phenomenon is actually something that the Holy Spirit would do. You're in danger... When you leave the foundation of the word of God and you begin to sink into the superstitious and the strange and the superstitious is nowhere near as powerful as the spiritual. You get bizarre doctrines that actually become tormenting to believers. Yes, I'm serious. You get doctrines that torment believers. It doesn't liberate them. It torments the mind. When you remove Christ from anything, confusion comes because you've removed the absolute in order to navigate the spiritual depths, you must be grounded upon the word. So again, no one is saying experience doesn't count. No one is saying that, that there aren't some things in scripture that you can find that aren't exactly specifically mentioned. No one is saying that you should discard any encounter you've ever had that's spiritual. I'm simply saying that you must use the foundation of the word first. Don't build your faith superficially on the word and fundamentally on experience rather build fundamentally on the word and superficially on experience let the word be the foundation and explain your experience through the word instead of trying to cram the word of god into your experience right, this right. is what i call scriptural gymnastics when somebody has something that they really 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 want to hang on to for one reason or another and i'll actually explain that in a moment and they take the word and they try to cram it into these experiences that they've had when in fact the experiences that they've had contradict the word of God, at least in the way that many people interpret these experiences. So again, I'm not saying experience doesn't have a place. I'm saying it's not the priority. Steve? Yeah, the, I mean, like I, like Diga was saying, the, the chat is on fire right now. And I think um, a lot of the points that you're making, I think are really big moments for a lot of people because from what these comments are, what I'm reading right now, everyone is really, it seems like their eyes are being open. And I think that's something very, very powerful right now um, that these people need to hear. And everybody in the chat needs to hear is these truths that, I mean, they're truth. Well, thank you, Steve. And thank you for that break. Actually, while you were doing that, 
I asked Ruben for some hot tea. Would you like some, Steve? I'm good. Thank okay, you. Just, just hot water and some lemon. I actually got a long way to go, so please pray for my voice, guys, as I go through this. It's really cold in here. The air conditioner's on, and I'm going to be talking for another good hour or so. But let me see in the comment section, guys, if you are receiving this and things are starting to click in your head, then just type the number one. Type number one in the comment section right now, and I can see Gianni and TS and Road Herald and Mary Grace and Resurrection TV and Holy Spirit Ministries. Teacher Carla, welcome. Teacher Carla, been a while since we've seen you. Vicki Lewis, Michelle Parrish, Hugo, Evangelist Adil Asher, Pam Mays. By the way, Pam Britt's right here. We're taking good care of him. I promise you. <laughs> but guys, share, 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 share this live stream. And remember, 1,500 likes, we do a book giveaway. 5,000 likes, we do a trip giveaway. So make sure you share this. Spread this all around the internet. Help us expand our reach. Okay, so now that we've discussed the foundation, biblical experience and actually having those experiences interpreted through the Bible. That's what a biblical experience is. I want to now talk to you about spiritual warfare and how to win the warfare. Once I address what spiritual warfare is and I show you how to defeat the enemy, then we're going to move on and I'm going to expose, debunk, and hopefully forever do away with these myths and superstitions that people believe about spiritual warfare. Mm, come on. Probably not, but hey, well, we, can, we can hope, <laughs> right? I have faith for the impossible. Um, okay, spiritual warfare. Here's the definition, the working definition of, of, of spiritual warfare that you're going to see in Scripture. Spiritual warfare is the fight to believe God's truth over the enemy's lies. Let me say that mm. again. Spiritual warfare is the fight to believe God's truth over the enemy's lies. Let's go now, Ephesians 6. I'm going to read verses 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's a command, by the way. Able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. That's a key verse I'll explain in a moment. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to stand to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle... You will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Okay, there's a lot here. Now, spiritual warfare for the believer, as I said, is the fight to believe God's truth over the enemy's lies. Whenever you see a believer under attack in the New Testament, in most cases, you're going to find that that attack has to do with deception. In other words, the battle is in the mind. For the believer, spiritual warfare is simply the fight to believe God's truth for the enemy's lies. Now, notice here in verse 11, I told you this would be key. Verse 11, watch this. Put on all of God's armor so what? You can stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now, this word here, strategies in the Greek, literally means his trickery or his deceit. So notice here that the scripture doesn't say, so you can stand against the curses of the devil. So you can stand against the attachments of the devil. So you can stand against the soul ties of the devil. 
That's new ageism. That's actually religion disguised as spirituality. But what you actually see here is that the enemy fights the believer with deception. In the New Testament, you will never find language describing the believer's fight against demon possession. And I'm going to cover that in a little bit again. I'm going to more thoroughly cover it. But just real briefly, please note that in the New Testament, you'll see a lot of language missing that's used today in many parts of the church. Rather, what the scripture here is describing is the deceit, the deception, the trickery, the methods, literally the methods of the enemy. And I want you to notice also that in verse 11, the Bible says that if you put this armor on, what's going to result is this. You'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now, I, take, I, I took a look at this verse 11 here, this especially key verse. And I looked at this word all in the Greek. And the word all in Greek literally means all. I know that's really a deep revelation here. <laughs> that word in the Greek, all literally means all. That means everything you're about to read in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18 is everything that you need to resist all the strategies of the enemy. In other words, there's no strategy that the enemy has that the armor of God isn't going to take care of. There's, there are no rituals that are missing. There are no special prayers that are missing. There are no special sessions that are missing. There is no renouncing that is missing. Very simply put, put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against what? All the deception, all the strategy, all the methods of the enemy. So Ephesians 6 makes it very clear that everything that you will need for spiritual warfare is what's being listed here. There's nothing missing from Ephesians 6. Now, the scripture says in verse 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. I did a breakdown this in, a, in an e-course that I did on demons and spiritual warfare a while ago. So it's called the ranks of hell. If you want me to break down what this means, spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and all that. I actually broke that down in my teaching called the ranks of hell. So take a look at that. But in verse 14 and 15, it goes on to describe the armor of God. So stand your ground, putting on what? What's first? The belt of truth. Wait a minute. The belt of truth. What is truth? Truth is something I believe. That's the mind. Come on. The body armor of righteousness. How do I live righteously? I stand against temptation. Where do I fight temptation? In the mind. The shoes of peace. Where do I have peace? In my mind. Shield of faith. Where do I believe? In my mind or the mind of the spirit. Helmet of salvation. Helmet is the head. It's the mind of salvation. In other words, I think in the perspective of one who has been redeemed. Now, notice that all of these pieces of armor that are given to us have to do with overcoming deception. Right, There's right. nothing here that's given to us for overcoming curses, nothing here that's given to us for overcoming soul ties, nothing here that's given to us for going back generations and breaking this or that, or discovering what symbol might have accidentally been glanced at to create the influence <laughs> of the enemy and cause an open door. Mm -hmm. No, it's quite simply giving us all that we need to stand against all the strategies of the devil. There's not a strategy that the enemy uses against the believer that isn't covered in the armor of God. Finally, we see the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. And that's exactly what I've been saying. The word of God is your weapon. You can't fight incantation with incantation. Mm. You can't fight curses with ritualized prayers. 
You can't wow, wow, fight wow. the enemy by knowing its name. You fight the enemy by knowing the name of Jesus. When praying for someone to be liberated, I don't need to know the name of any other spirit. I only need to know one name, and that's the name of Jesus because of the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost at work. Now, 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 says this, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds. What are strongholds? Of human reasoning. In other words, strongholds are mindsets and to destroy false arguments. We destroyed every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Ruben has my tea, so I'm going to take a quick comment break, Steve. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and read some comments here. And so far, like uh, I was saying earlier, people are receiving. Uh, N says, the word of God is your weapon. Holy Spirit ministry says, amen. Angel Serrano says, amen. Our friend Gloria Chang says, amen. And Ray Campos and she has an ETV Insider Dove logo. Awesome. She says, The bout of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the gospel of peace, take up the shield of faith, the I helmet of salvation, and the sword it. of the I spirit. It. I Come love on. It. And Amanda Ramos says, This big confusion in, Christ in is Christians being demon-possessed. Amanda, I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm oh, actually going to yes. get that when I cover these myths and superstitions. I'm going to talk about Christians and demon possession. I'm going to break it down for you biblically. And if you hear what the word of God is saying, you will never again even consider that idea. It's nowhere near biblical. I'm telling you this is someone who casts out devils. I'm telling you this is someone who's practiced deliverance for the past 18 years. I'm telling you this is someone who walks with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you this most importantly as someone who loves the word of God. So it's possible to bring deliverance from demons without having to go into these types of religious belief systems. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Oh, I thank God for the Holy Spirit. This is why we need him. Because when you do it the Holy Spirit's way, you walk in the fullness of his power. So I'm definitely going to get to that in a moment. And if you believe Christians can be demonized, is actually the word in the original language, then stick around and open your heart because this is important. It's important that you get your theology right so that your practice is aligned with the Holy Spirit's power. Amen. It's not, it's not anointed to pretend that the word of God doesn't matter. You'll hear people say things like, well, you have the word and I have my practice. Well, wait a minute. If what you're not practicing is not based on the word, then there's no real power. Come you on. want real power. I mean, true power. Steve, how many times have we seen demons come out of people instantly? Countless. Countless, Countless times. times. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not even a fight. I'm telling you can, you, can you really imagine the Holy Spirit going, okay, I'm going to fight this demon now. Oh, man, this is a tough one. I'm really, it's not like <laughs> fishing where you're reeling it out and trying to get it out of the water. And well, if you do right, this and use this right. bait, and it's not like that at all. The Holy Spirit is like an ocean wave and demonic bondage is like Come a sandcastle built on the shore. When that wave comes roaring in, every demonic power dissolves. I'm telling you, it's the power of the Holy Ghost. That's a tweet right there. That's it is a stuff. tweet. It's a tweetable, as they say. Tweetable. Okay, so you'll notice that in the scripture, when the believer engages in spiritual warfare, it's all about what happens in the mind. It's all about what happens in the belief system. This is why they describe Christians as being oppressed, because what happens is the believer takes on a belief that is anti-scripture, or at least counter to the Holy Spirit's nature, and they take on this belief, and when they start to think a certain way, 
they start to feel a certain way. And when they start to feel a certain way, they start to act a certain way. And when they start to act a certain way, they get the results of those actions, and then they want to go blame a demon. When, in fact, it's a stronghold that's rooted in the mind. Now, three common myths about spiritual warfare. Now that we've established a few things, we've established where experience has its place. We've established that the Bible should be the foundation of the word. We've established that spiritual warfare is a battle for truth. We established how to win that spiritual war, and that is with the word of God. Now I want to address these three common myths about spiritual warfare. And then I want to take questions on these, on these myths. If you've heard these, feel free to call in. And we're going to take questions in a moment. We'll leave, no, don't put the information up yet, Ruben. We don't want to break up that viewership quite yet. And then I'm going to actually go over some typical reactions that I get to uh, what I'm about to teach you. But again, you can do it the hard way or you can do it the Holy Spirit's way. You can do it the religious way or you can do it the biblical way. Just because there are boundaries doesn't mean it's religious. In fact, the boundaries that we follow in the scripture are what produce the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Mm, so again, on. leave a like right now. You guys are actually almost at a thousand. Here's what I'm actually going to do. I can't believe I'm doing this, Steve. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll do the book giveaway at a thousand likes. You're almost there. And I'm going to do the trip giveaway at 2,500 likes. So wow. you guys are halfway there to the trip already, all right? Just about. You got so I'll this do the chat. trip giveaway at, at, at about 2,500. And again, if you're watching this after it's gone off the air, then, then it doesn't count. But if you can get to it while it's on the air, then we'll pick someone from the comment section. But anyway, I say all that. It's all fun. But really, the point is we want to spread our reach. And by spreading our reach, we spread the truth, okay? Okay, three common myths about spiritual warfare. Three common myths about spiritual warfare. Number one, myth number one. Oh, God, help us with this. Please, Lord, help me deliver this with humility and make me, Lord, like Stephen the martyr who spoke with such spirit-led accuracy, who spoke so articulately in the spirit. I pray you anoint my words and let your word go forth like a hammer and break mindsets, Lord, that your people might go free. In the name of Jesus, and all who agreed said, amen. amen. Okay. Myth number one, Christians can be demon-possessed. Mm. Now, we have to start here. We have to start here. Because really, when you believe this, when you believe this lie that Christians can be demon-possessed, really demonized is the original word. And that original word, demonized, literally means to be possessed by a demon. That's what it means in the Greek. Original language, that word demonized, literally means to be possessed by a demon. So watch out for the semantics that people play. They'll say, well, oh, not possession, but demonized. And that word demonized in the Greek actually means to be possessed if you study it. And I encourage you, go look at it. Look at uh, the interlinear Bible, and you'll see that word come up, and you can actually research the word, and you'll see that the working definition is, in fact, demon possession. That's what demonized means. So I'm going to start here because the belief that— here's something that I wrote so that I can say it accurately. Please hear me. Please hear me. The belief that Christians can be demon-possessed is so key because it is the foundational thought, the anchor which holds one to the belief that they need more than just prayer and the Holy Spirit's power. That belief demands ritual, and that ritual makes man feel needed. So, if you believe that Christians can be demon-possessed, that becomes your anchor thought in religion. That's why people fight over this so violently. 
I'll tell you, when I released my book back in 2015 on spiritual warfare, I talked about the fact that the Bible teaches that Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Oh, my goodness. When I released that teaching, I got letters, I got emails, I got phone calls, I got texts. People so angry with me mm. for siding with the Word of God. I felt like John wow. the Baptist when the Pharisees all wanted to attack him, or Jesus when he came out and said things, and they're like, oh, no, you know, get him. That's what I felt. I felt like it was a, people were rallying against right, me right. because I was teaching the truth. And I'm thinking, guys, I'm not trying to be a contrarian. I just, I'm just trying to hold to the, the truth of the word of God. And even I used to believe that. And I had to correct that in myself once I started studying it. And people were so angry with me. Pastors, please hear me, guys. Pastors were cussing me out. Wow. Pastors were cussing me out. And, and at that point, I almost did reconsider my belief. And I thought, well, maybe Christians can be demon possessed. <laughs> right. But all joking aside, it was a really deep issue. And I realized something. The reason people fight so hard for this is because if you remove that doctrine, that religious ideology, that thought that Christians can be demon-possessed, the whole thing comes down. That is the foundational belief. Because if people, if Christians can be demon-possessed, then it's not the power of the Holy Spirit that sets them free at salvation. Then it's not the infilling of the Holy Spirit that liberates with the baptism wow, of wow. the Holy Spirit. Then it's not saving faith that breaks every curse. It's something else. And once you've convinced someone that Christians can be demon-possessed, they got to believe everything that comes with it. Namely, that it takes more than the power of the Holy Spirit to break these curses. That it takes more than the power of the Holy Spirit to cast a demon out of someone. Think about it. Think, I mean, really think about what the Word says. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, except for the hidden demons that are leave inside of them that they have to discover later. Wow. Think about mm. that, guys. I mean, really, the scripture is so clear. And I'm going to show you right now. The scripture is absolutely clear that nobody owns the believer but God. Nobody owns the believer but God. Nowhere in the New Testament do you see a believer going through a deliverance session. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see biblical instructions on how to deliver Christians from demons. Demon possession is real. I love it. I, like I said, I love casting out devils. I love it. It's one of Come my on. favorite things to do. It's a mm -hmm. hobby of ours. We love driving out demons. But you'll never see in the New Testament a Christian demon-possessed. And I'll show you some instances that people use to try to say that Christians can be demon-possessed, but I'm going to debunk those in a moment. Look at what this does, this belief. The foundation of this belief leads to, well, Christians then need more than salvation and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They now need the third thing, which is deliverance. You know, I got saved, I got filled, then I get delivered. And so there's more that they need. And once you've convinced them that there's more that they need than what they have, then you can start introducing whatever you want. Well, you got to renounce this. Well, where is that in the Bible? doesn't matter. It's my experience. You got to renounce it. Well, you got to break this curse. You got to throw up in this trash can. I'm serious, guys. Mm, it may sound on. like I'm being jovial about this because these things sound silly, but I'm trying to get you to think biblically about these things. I love deliverance. And I do believe sometimes people throw up when they get delivered from a demon, but it's not absolutely essential to their deliverance. Right. So we have to be careful with how we approach this because once you've accepted this first foundational thought, this anchor thought that Christians can be demonized, well, that opens up the door to everything else. Now it opens this whole world of things that you can just start making things up. Well, that actually is a water demon. And with water demons, you <laughs> want to try to do this. Come well, that on. actually is a demon like, so with this specific demon, you have this. And with this specific demon, you have that. And now you got to buy this e-course. Now you got to buy this book. Now you got to come to my meeting. Now you got to buy in on what I'm doing when it's not even in the Bible. I'm thinking sometimes, my goodness, are these people casting out devils or Pokemon? I mean, there's all these <laughs> different types of demons that they Ooh. name and they... 
attached these adjectives that never existed in the scripture and were left with religion, dead, dry, powerless religion that does nothing for anyone but keep them in a perpetual cycle of constantly needing deliverance. Ephesians 1.14 says the spirit is the guarantee, the first installment, the pledge, a foretaste of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own purchased possession. His believers is what the Bible says. It says it right here. Until the redemption of God's own purchased possession, his believers, to the praise of his glory. That's Ephesians 1.14. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 1 Corinthians 3.23, and you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. I belong to Jesus and he does not share ownership of me with some demonic being. He won't do it. The Spirit is jealous over me, James 5 says. If, I've lo- if I know anything about the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you this. He won't share you with the demon. Come on. If I know anything about the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you that right now. He will not share you with the demon. He owns my body. He is one with my spirit. He permeates my soul. Where else does, do I get the expression of love, joy, peace? That's the fruit of the Spirit. How can I have love, joy, and peace permeating my soul if there's some devil in there? So the Holy Spirit owns me. In fact, the scripture makes the distinction. Greater is he who is in you, than some translations say, than the spirit that's in the world. Notice there that the scripture makes a distinction between the spirit that's in you and the spirit that's in the world. So the Bible makes it very clear that the spirit that's in the world is different than the spirit that's in you. Therefore, the spirit that's in the world cannot possibly be in you or on you or own you or oppress you or demonize you in any sense, to any degree, in any way, in any scenario. The Bible is clear. Now, if you're bound, you're simply not living the Christian life. A great man of God once told me, a powerful man of God. In fact, this man of God who taught me this quote right here, if you're bound, you're simply not living the Christian life. He's probably cast out more demons than anybody I know. I once watched this man who, so anointed of God, he was on a platform. Some lady just starts manifesting right in front of him. Mm-hmm. And Steve, I kid you not, all he did was put his hand out and right. start praying against that spirit. He didn't even lay hands on her. This woman started rolling away, like on the, on the stage, rolling away, wow. crawling, trying to get away from him. She didn't confront him and get in his face. She <laughs> was rolling away, crawling, trying to get away from him. And within, I kid you not, it must have been 15, 20 seconds, that woman got up, weeping, jumping up and down, praising wow, God because wow. she was delivered mm-hmm. from a demon. And that yeah. gentleman taught me this, powerful man of God, if you're bound, you're simply not living the Christian life. Wow. Now, here's some questions to consider if you actually believe that Christians can be demon-possessed. Where in, the New, where in the New Testament do we see a believer having a demon cast out of them? You all, you'll often see examples of Christians having demons, supposedly. But where in the New Testament do you see an example of a believer having a demon cast out of them? Any example you think you can give, I promise you, with just a little bit of study, will show that that's actually not the case. And I know this because this is the study I did. Why? Because I tried to prove this. The reason I know this isn't true is because I was stuck in this mentality and I tried to prove this with scripture. 
Hmm. And I couldn't. In fact, I found that the scripture contradicted what I taught and preached and actually exercised. And I thought, oh my goodness, if the scripture contradicts what I'm doing, I better humble myself before the word of God Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and instead embrace what the word of God says. So then, another question. Where in the New Testament do we see warnings for believers to watch out for specifically demon possession? You won't see it. So the burden of proof is actually on those who believe that Christians can be demonized. As I see it, whenever I see a demon cast out in this ministry or in ministries that are similar or who teach similar things, and I'm guys, please hear me now. I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because experience is so often touted as a source of authority that I have to at least demonstrate that I've seen these things. Now, I don't believe experience should be the authority. Let me be clear on that. But in the minds of those who believe things like this, they won't even listen to you unless they know that you've had some experience in dealing with devils. So I'm saying that not to brag. I'm saying that to connect with those who believe this and want to cast out devils, but who wouldn't otherwise take my advice saying, oh, well, you don't have any experience. And they'll say things like, well, you have theology and I have the actual power. And that's not the case here. Many of you who've been to the meetings, you've seen this happen. In fact, we have footage on our channel. So I want you to know we believe in demon possession. We believe in driving out devils. We believe in doing that instantly. So I'm trying to show you the way of Scripture. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel less. And I'm not trying to humiliate you. I'm trying to bring you out of a mental bondage so that you can truly walk in the power of the Holy Spirit without all of the emotional and mental tormenting religious baggage that comes along with that other belief system. I'm showing you here that nowhere in the scripture do you see it. And I had, to, I had to be set free from that mindset. So again, please hear me. The only reason I bring up my experience is not because I think it gives me authority, but it helps me to connect with those who otherwise wouldn't listen to this at all. So the burden of proof is on those who believe that Christians can be demonized because A, the scripture contradicts that belief. Right. Now they may try to retreat and say, well, 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 we don't believe in possession. We believe in demonization. That's why I'm saying demonized. Because demonized in the original language, you can go look this up, interlinear your Bible, literally means to be possessed by a demon or under its power through ownership. Now, this type of language that it's using makes it very clear that a believer who belongs to God, who's God's possession, couldn't in any way be demon possessed. And so we're left with a choice. What do we do? How do we, how do we, how do we come to terms with these beliefs that we have? We must bow to the scripture And again, not throw out our experience, not pretend our experience doesn't matter, but we must interpret our experience to the word. We must use that filter. So again, the burden of proof is on the ones who believe Christians can be demonized because we have the word of God, which shows us that it's not possible. And we have experience that shows us that it's not necessary to believe that in order to exercise deliverance ministry. And it's not necessary to believe in those rituals in order to find freedom. So there's a better way to do it is what I'm saying. So with that in mind, let's look at some examples that people try to use to demonstrate that Christians can be demon possessed. And by the way, guys, in the comments section right now, I see Emily Larimore, Sybil Bowen saying, come on now, Jessica La Pena. Um, I see Ronda and Gemini and Behans and Perlita. I see all of you guys joining us and I see that you're really enjoying this message. So what I need you to do is I want you to put in the comment section some of the things you've heard, some of these strange, bizarre, ritualistic, religious, superstitious, I don't even know what to call them. They're, they're, <laughs> right. they're rites of passage. They're Something actions. Like they're, that, yeah. 
there's seances, there's sessions. Like these are all these doctrines that just get so, so, so ingrained in our minds that we, we can't break free from them. Mm-hmm. And I, we need, okay. So here's some examples that they use. And again, if you have any other examples of these religious doctrines in regards to spiritual warfare, uh, put them in the comment section, show us what you, what you mean. Okay. So there's actually some more comments I want to read because I'm going to get into this right now. Let me see. How will you know when it reaches 1,500 likes? Okay, they're asking about that. I can see it on my screen. I, you're at 1.1 right now. Come on, Jet. Um, so 1,500 likes for the, uh, for the book giveaway, right? And what did I say for the trip, Steve? We said 2,500. And 2,500 for the, for the trip giveaway. Okay. Sorry, I'll get right back. I know someone watching this on the replay is just like, come on, get to it. Okay, I'm getting to it, I promise. <laughs> okay, so here's some examples of what they'll try to use in Scripture to supposedly prove that Christians can be demon-possessed. Uh, first and foremost, one of the ones that you'll see is they'll mention Judas. They'll say, well, Judas was a follower of Christ, and the Bible says that Satan entered him. Well, absolutely, Satan did enter him. And if you actually look in that chapter where the Bible says that Satan entered him, just a few verses before, it'll say that Satan was actually influencing him. So it's possible to be influenced without being possessed. But it's true. Judas was possessed by Satan himself. But most scholars believe, in fact, most scholars debate, I should say, that Judas was probably not even a true believer. In fact, many Bible scholars actually hold to the belief that Judas was a wolf among sheep, not a sincere believer, not a sincere follower of Christ. And of course, this was before the finished work of the cross. And of course, there's nothing that you can show to demonstrate that Judas was a true believer all indication points to the fact that he was likely not a true believer. So this is a weak example at best. You can discard this Judas example mm. because Judas was possessed. We know that. And of course, he was not delivered. So if you have an example of Judas as being a Christian who was uh, demon possessed, then that's not a very promising example at all because he wasn't set free. He actually ended up killing himself and lived the rest of his life in condemnation. So let's not hold to that, please. Uh, Peter, where Jesus tells him, get thee behind me, Satan. Here, Jesus is saying, get thee behind me, adversary. He's not saying, Peter, you have a demon in you and we have to cast it out. All he was saying was, what you're saying is contrary to what my father wants me to do. And Mm. therefore, you're aligning your statements with what Satan wants, not with what God wants. So there we see demonic influence, possibly, but certainly not demonic possession. And Peter never, after this point, went through a deliverance session. He simply was filled with the Holy Spirit and began preaching uh, to those who needed to hear the gospel. Ananias and Sapphira. What about Ananias and Sapphira? They were, they were Christians, weren't they? Well, again, that can be debated, but let's say that they were. The Scripture doesn't say just, why have you allowed Satan to fill your hearts? It says, why have you allowed Satan to fill your hearts to lie? So this is influence unto action. Nowhere does this indicate that Ananias and Sapphira literally had a demon inside of them, causing them to be possessed. And remember, guys, that demon possession comes with very clear signs. Look at Mark 5. The man was a lunatic. He was cutting himself. He was howling like an animal. He was living among the burial caves. I mean, you name it, there are signs clearly of demon possession. And Ananias and Sapphira demonstrated none of those signs. And they demonstrated no, and nowhere in the scripture do we see that Ananias and Sapphira were delivered from this demonic being. Rather, they were killed. So if Ananias and Sapphira is your example of a Christian being demon-possessed, then good luck with that, because the answer then is not deliverance, but death. 
if you want to follow that logic all the way to its conclusion. So you guys can properly dismiss Judas, Peter, Ananias, and Sapphira as examples. Please don't ever use those again. Um, they're just not uh, well-founded. Um, well, doesn't Matthew 15 teach that deliverance is the children's bread? Remember the Canaanite woman? She comes to Jesus with her daughter who's demon-possessed. She says, please, Lord, set my daughter free. Cast the devil out of her. What does Jesus tell her? No, I'm not going to give the food to the dogs. I'm not going to give the bread to the dogs. I'm not going to give the dinner to the dogs. And the woman says, well, even the dogs can eat the scraps. So, okay, Jesus was moved by her faith, and he drives out that devil. But nowhere... In the scripture, does Jesus say, I'm not going to cast out that demon. Casting out demons is for Christians and my followers. They're the ones who get demons cast out of them. No. In fact, what actually is happening here is Jesus is talking about his duty to first go to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And he's talking mm -hmm, about the entire mm -hmm. saving work of the gospel. He's not talking about deliverance. He's talking about the saving work of the gospel in its entirety, the work of the cross, the purpose for his coming. So that is what he's describing as being first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. There's nothing that even comes close. In the, and, and I'm surprised that, Steve, honestly, I'm surprised people even try to use that. Right, right. Like, that, like why is that even? Okay, so Jesus cast the demon out of a girl who was a Gentile. If anything, that should prove that he cast demons out of people who aren't saved. Mm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all that was saying there, all Jesus was saying was that he came for the Jew first. Not that I'm only supposed to cast demons out of Christians or Christians can be demon-possessed. I mean, that's just really, really reading into the Scripture, and that's what you call spiritual gymnastics. So please <laughs> dismiss that. Never use that again. It's not a point for that side of it. And then we look at um, the Scripture where he says, Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? We saw this in the Scripture, but that word bewitched literally means to fascinate or to deceive, which goes back to what I'm saying. This is not a curse. This is actually deception. So who has bewitched you literally means who has deceived you. That scripture is not talking about a curse, nor is it talking about demon possession. We also see Philip in Acts chapter 8 casting out demons. Now, this is something that someone brought to my attention. They sent this question over recently. Um, Acts 8 verses 4 through 7, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. That's what they used to say Christians can be demon-possessed. Right. Do you see that anywhere in there? Mm. They say, well... The people received his message. Well, no, a better translation says the crowds listened intently as Philip was preaching. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. doesn't say that they got saved and then had their demons cast out of them. So please don't ever use that again. Either Acts 8 does not count for anything remotely even implying that Christians can be demon-possessed. So if you've ever stood by any of these or you heard these guys, you can dismiss them. And this is what I'm talking about, superstition and fear. People are afraid to dismiss these things like, well, I don't know. What if I dismiss this notion, then I get a demon inside of me and I don't realize it. And because I don't believe in it, I don't get set free. That's really not how this works. If you stood by these, now that you know the truth, give these up. Never again let anyone use, and you never use, Judas, Peter, Ananias, and Sapphira. Matthew 15, the scripture where it says, who has bewitched you, or Acts chapter 8 as examples of Christians being demon-possessed. It's just not a reality. It's not there in scripture. This is spiritual gymnastics. This is forcing your experience onto the scripture rather than the other way around. So those are debunked. Leave them alone. If anyone ever uses those, know one of two things. Either they don't understand that verse or they know what the verse is actually saying, 
but they'd rather convince you of their position. And that hopefully is not the case. Hopefully it's the former, not the latter. I love now, this. I uh, love this comment real quick before you go. Angie P says, thank you for taking away some of the fears I had. Man, I think that's so powerful. And I think a lot of people are really in agreement with what you're saying. That blesses me more than you know to hear that. I'm glad you read that, Steve. This is why I do it. Because the truth will set you free. I'm talking about walking in God's delivering power, his true delivering power. Not the religious stuff, guys. Remember, religion always complicates things and demands uh, extra of you. Spirituality is so simple. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's the true power that we're talking mm -hmm. about. Now, all of the explanations that you will ever hear, there are, there, there, you may hear others. So maybe I didn't cover the specific one that you heard. Every single other explanation that you will ever hear from Scripture that somebody tries to use to demonstrate that people can be demon-possessed will end up just like that. Just a little bit of study, and poof, the belief is gone. That's why I, that's what was so convincing for me, Steve, honestly. Right. Is, is that it was just a little bit of study. It wasn't even like deep, deep, deep study. Now, of course, I've done deeper studies to back up these teachings and to make sure I got it right. Mm -hmm. But it was just a tiny bit of study. I just went a little under the surface, and then poof, there were all of my ideologies and doctrines. And guys, I didn't just believe them. I taught them, mm. and I taught them passionately. And I would, I would debate. I would, um, oh my goodness, I'll share more of my testimony in a little bit. But it was, <laughs> it, I was convinced, guys. And I feel like Paul, who came out of that, and now he's someone being used by God to help people out of those mindsets. So all the explanations you will ever hear that people try to use to side with that point of view you will find every single time they fail, every single time they fail, just like these others. So the scripture says, John 8, 36, so if the son sets you free, you are truly free or free indeed. Now watch this, watch this. In John 8, 36, the Greek word for free, guess what it means? It means free, not a slave, not under restraint, like at all. So I'm not under any restraint. I'm free indeed literally means I'm completely free. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed, period. Now this is really a powerful verse because it shows us that those who put their faith in Jesus find their freedom in him, not in rituals, not in religion, but in him and in the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to imagine this. Let's do a little mental exercise here. Imagine God standing there with his arms folded as somebody gives their life to him. He says, I'll save you. I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit. And he looks down and he says, but I'm going to leave a demon hidden in you. <laughs> and you'll only be able to get rid of that demon if you, A, find out about it. You just so happen to find out about it through some obscure religious deliverance teaching. And B, if you find the correct ritual... You find the demon's name, find out how the demon got in, and then throw up in a trash can. Oh. You really think God's doing that? Hmm. Looking down, Lord, I give my life to you. Save me, forgive me, fill me with your Holy Spirit. He's going, okay, I'm going to leave you a little surprise, though. And you're going <laughs> to only be able to get rid of it if you just so happen to come across the right book. If you just so happen to come across the right teaching. If you just so happen to be in the right service at the right time to hear the right words. Jesus wouldn't save you, redeem you, fill you with the Holy Spirit, and then secretly leave a demon in you. If you believe that, you don't understand the Holy Spirit's power to utterly save and redeem. Now, 
Myth number two, Christians can be cursed. So here's a verse that leads to the misunderstanding right here. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. I'm going to read that again because I kind of butchered it. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. So people will point to Old Testament scriptures like this and then say, well, there it is. Christians can have curses when in mm. fact, that's not at all what the scripture is saying. What's actually happening here is God is dealing specifically with the nation of Israel. And he's saying that if the nation of Israel doesn't obey his commands, then there will be consequences that are felt for generations. Specifically, God would allow a nearby region or kingdom to oppress that nation, even bring them into captivity until they once again return to him. And that's, in, in fact, what we see all throughout the scripture, right. is that anytime the Israelites obeyed God, they prospered, they lived in their land, God blessed them, they were walking according to the covenant. But anytime they stepped out of the bounds of those covenants, God, or that covenant, God would allow the rulers in the region to come and oppress them, take from them their land, their livelihoods, their culture, and so forth. Only when they turned back to him would they ignite the covenant, and therefore God would rescue them. So this is what these scriptures are talking about. Anytime you read in the Old Testament about a curse coming on this generation or that generation, it's talking about Israel as a nation being dealt with by God. And really, if God allows a nation to oppress Israel then of course that's going to affect multiple generations. So this is not talking about Christians having a curse on them because their dad used to drink alcohol. In fact, Christ broke every curse. Can we suffer the consequences of former generations? Yes. Can we suffer the results of our own foolish choices? Sure. Can we receive traits and inclinations through generational genetics? Of course you can. But can the believer be placed under some demonic hex that causes them calamity Wherever they go and whatever they do, absolutely not. For Galatians 3.13 says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. It's not possible to curse what God has blessed. And Come if on. someone speaks curses against you, the blood of Jesus speaks better things. If someone speaks a curse against you, the blood of Jesus speaks blessings for you. Whatever your, whatever your family bloodline, the blood of Jesus breaks every curse. His word will contradict that curse every single time. Christians cannot be cursed. Can they face consequences of their choices? Yes, absolutely that happens. And in fact, that happens more often than not. They face the consequences of their choices and they say, oh my goodness, I'm dealing with a curse. My marriage is cursed. No, you just stopped being nice to your wife. <laughs> wow. Being real yeah. with you now. Mm -hmm. So myth number three, extended deliverance sessions are needed for freedom. God help us here. Oh man, that's a good one. Now again, I'm going to come back to the way I've seen it done. In scripture, the way I've seen it done in real life and the way we've experienced it in our meetings. It was done by the power of the Holy Ghost. Simple commands. The Bible says, with the word, he cast them out. A word, he cast them out. And they would go. I've watched Pastor Benny Hinn cast out demons. And whatever you think of the man, the man walks in power. I've seen it, Steve. Mm -hmm. Demons coming out instantly. I've heard of the ministry of Miss Catherine Coleman. I, can't, I just can't see Miss Coleman standing there for hours 
In fact, I knew someone who had been in her meeting when a man manifested. The demon manifested. She didn't even touch the guy. She put her hand out, rebuked the devil. The man fell on the floor, right, shook, right. screamed. Demon came out, and she started preaching again. All she said was, that's the way Jesus did it. It was done with such power. When you walk in power, uninhibited power, you don't need to make up for what the Holy Spirit is doing. When you lack the power of the Holy Ghost, you have to make up for it with religious rituals. When you lack the power of the Holy Ghost, you have to make up for it in religious rituals. Now, again, we believe in deliverance. We believe in casting out demons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the way Jesus cast out demons is the way to do it. Now, firstly, Jesus did, in fact, refuse to let the demons speak. Now, I've heard, heard, heard this addressed in books I've heard this address, I mean, for years. I mean, since right. 2015, people have been sending me. Mm -hmm. Since 2015, when my book came out, people send me all the time. Well, take a look at this. Take a look at this. Take a look at this. And I've seen people try to justify talking to demons by saying, well, Jesus only told the demon to be quiet because he didn't want it to reveal that he was the Messiah. Yeah, that was true for one instance. But take a look at this in Mark 9, 25. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you evil spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And then the demon left. Now, look at what it says. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing. So this was Jesus's response because a crowd was coming around. He saw that people were actually seeing this. So he said, stop speaking and go. He refused to let it speak because the crowd of onlookers was there. He wanted to demonstrate his authority. Jesus didn't let the demon speak precisely because a crowd was gathering. Now, secondly, Jesus drove out demons instantaneously. There was never an exception. Even the man in Mark 5, what is your name? Legion. He answered that question on its way out. The demon answered on its way out. Okay. The demon did not talk to Jesus back and forth and say, well, right. I want to go into those pigs. Please make me now. And Jesus said, you have to go now. Well, I have to wait. And I'm going to go into the pigs in 10 minutes and five minutes. Well, <laughs> you have to find the root. I, I, you didn't find the root of how I got in. No, no. What's my other names? There's a thousand of us. You got to learn all our names before I get out of Come here. On. I mean, mm -hmm. it just said it was a legion. Now, of course, Jesus did grant the demon its wish. I don't know why specifically. I have my theories. Cast it into those pigs. It goes over. But all of this took place in a matter of seconds. This was not some long drawn out thing that took place for hours. The evening came, the scripture says, and many who were demon possessed were brought to Jesus. He cast out evil spirits with a simple command and he healed all the sick. That's Matthew 8, 16. So Jesus here in Matthew 8, 16 is driving out devils from multiple people. Now, can you imagine the hundreds who came to him with sickness, the hundreds who came to him with demon possession? If Jesus took three hours or even 45 minutes or even 20 minutes with each and every person who said they had a demon, he wouldn't have been able to get to everyone. Right. But right. in fact, he was able to cast out demons and heal the sick precisely because it was with a simple command. So in Mark 5, again, I want to come back to that just to make sure we button that up nicely. Mark 5, you will see the demon told Jesus its name. The demon asked to be sent into pigs. But that was it. There was nothing beyond that. And it was actually on its way out that it was making these requests and telling it, telling Jesus its <laughs> name. So it's not like it was fighting him. 
it was asking these things as Jesus was exercising the legion of demons. So wow, it didn't wow. take him an hour for each demon. He didn't say, come back in two weeks and we're going to address the other 200. And maybe there might be 300 still in there. No, he simply, with a simple command, drove out that legion of demons. And that was it. I see that this is an issue. And I used to do that. I used to do that. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to be honest with you. I used to put people through that. Now there are people who will testify that they've gone through those sessions with me. There's actually one in ministry now who's a preacher who I cast devils out of him. Mm -hmm. And it did take me three hours. Mm. And his testimony is powerful. He did get delivered, but he didn't get delivered because I took three hours. He got delivered despite the fact that I took three hours. He got delivered despite the fact that I had the conversations with the demons. Think about it. What's your name? How did you get in? What age did you enter? What's your influence? Mm. Who do you aspire to be like in the demon world? What's your favorite color? I mean, really. There, this, this is beyond the scripture now. And these are the types of doctrines that I talk about that are religious. They lack power. Mm -hmm. I need to know mm -hmm. what type of demon it is. No, you don't. I need to know the name of the demon. No, you don't. The only name you need to know when driving Come out on. a demon is the name of Jesus. Where do we get these ideas? I'll tell you, it's from the occult. It's from the occult that we get these things. So the spiritual warfare emphasis on these, these rituals that we perform, you guys, they're powerless. And if anybody ever gets set free from them, it's not the session that set them free. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God the Holy Spirit was able to finally get through despite wow, all that wow. craziness and actually do his work. Once I learned to stop trying to be impressive, once I learned to stop trying to do it in my own strength, once I learned to stop trying to use my amazing gift of discernment and my amazing gift of deliverance, and I just stepped aside and let the Holy Spirit do it, mm. that's when I saw them coming out like Jesus did it. Wow. So it's not possible to break these mindsets unless we humble ourselves before the word. If you're taking hours to cast out demons, you're likely only spending minutes in prayer. Wow. Mm -mm -mm. It's instant. A demoniac will shake and scream, possibly say a few things, and then they're out. Anything beyond this, hear me now, is the flesh. Anything beyond this is the flesh and religion. I'm just telling you the truth. That's all I can do. And look, I know that I bring a lot of heat on myself. I upset a lot of religious spirits, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to be swayed or moved by people who get upset with the way I do this because I'm doing it based on the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. I will not be moved. I will continue to cast out devils the biblical way, Amen. whether religious people like it or not. There's true power when you follow the word. Now, I was talking to a woman the other day on our partner call. Do you remember this, Steve? I do, yeah. My goodness. She lost hearing in one of her ears. She experienced heavy hearing loss because someone subjected her to one of these rituals. I won't go into the detail, but they got really aggressive. I mean, I'm serious. You see people hitting you with the, with the Bible. I, I mean, I used to do that. I used to hit people with the Bible when I would try to cast them out. They, 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 it's the sword of God and they stab them. And I mean, right. It's like, have we lost our minds? Mm. You guys, have we lost our minds? Where is the power of the Holy ghost? It's found when you obey the word. It's found when you model things after Jesus. Now, this woman 
she lost hearing because she had gone through one of those sessions. They were, they were, they were so loud and they were so violent with her that she actually experienced severe hearing loss. Wow. And she said the whole mm -hmm. time she's sitting there, they're saying, they're asking her, what is your name? And I'm just going to give her a name for the sake of the story. This is not her actual name. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. We'll call her Emily. They said, what is your name? And she just kept saying, Emily, no, no, not you. What is your name? And she mm. would go, Emily, who are you talking to? And they made her stay there because they could discern that there was a spirit in her because all of her symptoms pointed to the fact that she had a demon. And, and, and she said she never experienced the, the full deliverance, as they would say. In fact, she lost hearing because they were so violent with her. Wow. There's a story I know, and it's broke my heart. One of my friends was dealing with a heroin addiction. This was years ago. And she was taken to a retreat where they were doing deliverance, they said, on people who were dealing with drug addictions. And so they go up there. There's hundreds of them, people who had drug, drug addictions problems. These are people who have issues already. So you can almost suggest anything to them and they'll believe it at that state, in that state of mind. They take her there and they tell her, you have a demon. Don't try to deny it. You probably have several. Everybody has demons. So we're going to make you stay here. They made them stay there for hours. They didn't eat. They didn't drink water. They didn't let anyone leave the room. They made them stay there for hours hours and they said the only way you'll know if a demon came out of you is if you throw up in this trash can so you gotta Sheesh. picture this they make all these people stay here telling them you have demons they keep them there for hours no food no water and they say nobody's leaving till you all throw up guys that's crazy that's 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 crazy, crazy and mm -hmm. it's religious yeah guys that's religious that's religious that is religious mm -hmm. putting these rituals before the truth. In other words, you don't do it our way. You're not doing it the right way. You want to be free. You have to go through my special session. You want to be free. You have to do it the way I've taught. You want to break the curse. You, well, you got to come to me. I got that information. I, I, I'm the spiritual elite. I'm spiritual special force. You got to come through me. You want your freedom. What arrogance. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you. I was like that. I'm just going to use myself as an example because that's, you, you think, if any of you imagine that I'm preaching against anyone, I'm not. I'm not preaching against anyone. I'm preaching against my former self. I know wow. that guy. Arrogant. 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 And, you know, people get upset with me. Why are you saying this? Are you attacking? I'm not attacking anyone. Look, if you want to play on the train tracks, don't get mad when you get run over by a train. Mm. Don't play on the tracks. When truth comes through, if you're playing around and you're not in truth, you're going to get run over. Don't base your ministry on lies, and you won't have an issue. Don't base your ministry on things that are religious, and you won't have an issue. That's what I had to learn the hard way. So at the core, here's, here's really what it comes down to, and I'm going to take questions in a moment. Don't put that uh, out yet there, uh, Ruben, but uh, Steve, start looking for some questions in the it. comment section, okay? Um, and I appreciate you, Steve. Appreciate you, Thanks my for all you do, my bro. At the core of it, let me just tell you the core of it. At the core of it, people want to feel special. Please hear me. Lord, help them receive this. And if you're someone who believes in all this religious nonsense, and I call it that because I got to call it out for what it is. I'm not attacking you. I want you to be free from that religious. I want to see you cast out a hundred demons in one night, not take three hours to do one. I want to see you walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. I want to see God's people set free from religious mindset. And I know I'm upsetting a lot of people. And I know that, that, that 
just as the Pharisees got mad at Jesus that there's many people getting upset with me. But I have to side with the word. I have to side with the Holy Spirit because I love you. I care about God's people. I care about you. And I don't want to see people tormented by these religious ideologies. I don't want to see people stuck in paranoia and superstition. I don't want to see Christians living their whole lives, going from deliverance to deliverance, never truly being free because they weren't taught the truth that freedom is found in their faith in Christ. I want to see you go free. So at the core, people want to feel special. This is why this pandemic played into it so heavily. Because in isolation, you begin to grow bitter and, and, and you look for a way out, a way of, it's escapism. This is, my goodness, th- I can't believe I'm even saying this. This is why people are into things like Dungeons and Dragons. Hmm. Because it gives them an imaginary world in which they can feel special and powerful. And it's not, actually probably not even that imaginary. It's probably based on a lot of real demonic things. But they want to go into another world in which they feel powerful. And Christians, since we know Dungeons and Dragons is wrong, we go into instead things like this. We go into this imaginary world in which we can feel like spiritually elite people. And this is why people get so offended when I expose these religious lies. They get offended because I'm attacking what they imagine makes them special. I want to say that again. They get upset with me when I deal with these religious lies because I'm attacking in the spirit with the sword of the spirit I'm attacking those lies that they believe that make them feel special. They tie their identity to how lethal they are in the spirit realm. They tied their identity to being the, 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 the one that, that knows the spirit realm and who, who well, well, that spirit of this, I can navigate that for you. So with this type of demon, you're going to want to do that. It's, it's, it's puffed up knowledge. It's head knowledge. That's all it is. It's head knowledge without truly walking in the experience of the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said in Luke 10, 20, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I don't rejoice because demons obey me. I rejoice because I'm saved. I don't tie my identity to being the guy who cast out devils. And neither should you. You should do it. I tie my identity to the guy who speaks in tongues. You know who I am? I'm a follower of Jesus, a friend of the Holy Spirit. I tie my identity to them, not to what I can do in the kingdom. And so because these things make people feel special, because they feel like they're part of an elite group, they're the only ones who get it. Nobody else is doing it. That right there plays into this feeling special, this feeling exclusive. And that actually is pride. It's head knowledge. It's all puffed up. That's what God converted me from. Now, I'm going to show you some of my reaction up. That's what God converted me from. Now, I'm going to show you some of my reactions that I had when I first started going through this. When I first started realizing that, you know, I, 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 I was wrong on this. Okay, I was wrong. And let me show you where I, I was wrong. Here's my reaction. Number one, I would say, well, my experience says. Hear me now. The moment someone points to their experience as an authority, run. Please hear me now. The moment someone points to their experience as the authority instead of the word, run. That's what cult leaders do. Now, the reality is this. The only reason you would have to point to your experience as a source of authority is precisely because you lack biblical backing. Think about it. I'm going to say that again. The only reason that you have to point to your experience as the authority is because you lack biblical backing. Because if you had the biblical backing, you wouldn't have to default to experience. You could say, here's the biblical proof. 
But because some can't back it scripturally, they have to default mm-hmm. to experience. And that's what I did. It was spiritual pride and elitism. I was the spiritual special forces. Call me in when you want a demon cast out, right? <laughs> that was that guy. Right. And I'm, I, I mean, if you want to cast a demon out, I'll go, but I'll also tell you, you can do it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's God's power. It's God's power and it's in you. But that was my response, my experience, my experience. I would tell people, you're religious. People would tell me that what I was doing was not biblical. You're religious. You don't get it. But what's more religious than telling people that they have to jump through hoops in order to be set free? What's more religious than telling someone who's mentally tormented that they can't be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit alone, but that they have to go through a certain session that only you know how to do and only you know how to train people to do? There's nothing more religious than putting boundaries between Jesus and the people. There's nothing more religious than putting boundaries and rituals between people and their freedom. That's what the Pharisees did. You want to be saved, you got to be circumcised. Oh, you want to be delivered, you have to go through this ritual. It's powerless. It's religion. And you need to be set free. I was set free from it. And so that's what I would say. You're religious. You're religious. I would also say, well, because people would tell me that it's not done in their church. I would say, well, your pastor doesn't do it like I do it. Oh, Steve, I was so arrogant. Mm. (laughs) Your pastor doesn't do it like I do it. Your pastor doesn't walk in the power like I walk in the power. The question really is, what are you doing in the first place? So I like to say, most pastors believe in deliverance. The trouble comes when you mistake religious rituals and highly emotional experiences as deliverance. So I'm not saying... That, you know, you know, when I say, when, when I say those things like, oh, your pastor doesn't do what I do, that's what I used to say when I said that. Really what I was saying, they don't do it the way I do it. And that's religious. And so you have to ask yourself when they say, well, how come your pastor doesn't do it? How come your pastor doesn't do it like I do it? You have to ask yourself, is what you're doing in the first place actually deliverance? Or is it a bunch of religious add-ons to what the scripture gives us as a foundation? Wow. I would say things like nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about what I talk about. But just because you keep on insisting on unnecessary, superstitious, powerless, religious rituals doesn't mean that nobody's talking about the real thing. Just because I'm the only one emphasizing the fake doesn't mean I should dismiss when others are talking about the real. I would also say things like, how do you explain Christians manifesting? How do you explain people having transformed lives after they get delivered? Well, I can explain Christians manifesting. Simple. Either they aren't really demon-possessed or they aren't really Christians. Mm. I like to believe that it's actually that they're not really demon-possessed, but rather having a highly emotional response to some teachings that are highly damaging to their psychological welfare. Wow. And in fact, people do get set free after these things. Oh, I was drug addicted, then I went to this and I was, then I was set free. Or, oh, I was addicted to this, that, or the other. Or I had dealt with this sin and then I went to this session, now I'm free. Look, they were set free despite the ritual. They were set free because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you really believe that the Holy Spirit needs all that to set someone free? No mm. way. So people are set free, Christians are set free because they come to believe the truth of God's word but not because they went through some ritual. And those were just some of the things that I used to say. So if you hear things like this, my experience says, I have experienced they have theology, or, oh, they're just religious, or, oh, that pastor doesn't do it like I do it, or, oh, nobody ever talks about deliverance. Really? Nobody talks about the rituals, but deliverance is not found in the rituals. Or what about Christians manifesting? Or what about all these testimonies I can point to? I just gave you the explanation for all of them. And I knew to give you those explanations because these are all things that I used to say. Okay, Steve, let's open it up for questions in the chat. All right. So right now, guys, I've been looking at your questions. I've been looking at your comments here. I'm going to go ahead and start off in a few moments with a question. But again, if you want a question answered here, right 
live on the stream. Go ahead and leave it right now in that comment section. I'm with you guys. I'm right there watching. So this first question here is going to come from our friend, Caitlin Brown. Caitlin Brown. And this was asked earlier in the stream. Caitlin wanted to know, can spirits or devils be transferred to a believer? I've heard someone say that the soul is like a sponge. It picks up spirits even if we don't know. No. And there's nothing in Scripture that says that. Remember, the only word that the Bible uses when talking about demonic beings, well, it's twofold. When it's talking to believers, it's using the description of deception. When it's talking about unbelievers, it uses the word demonize, which is to be possessed. You'll often see people retreat to different categories. So they'll say, well, they can't be possessed, but they can't be oppressed. Well, maybe they can't be oppressed, but they can be demonized. Look, tie all those words together. They all mean the same thing. Semantics aside, word games aside, biblical gymnastics aside, demons can't attach themselves to Christians, period. What demons can do, as I said earlier in the program, is lie to the believer and cause them to believe something that isn't true. That becomes a stronghold. That stronghold changes the way the person thinks. The way the person thinks changes the way they feel. The way they feel changes the way they behave. The way they behave changes their entire demeanor. And that's what we would call a bondage or a stronghold. But that's in no way a demon attaching themselves to the person or owning the person or hexing the person, as you would see like on these, 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 these Wiccan teachings. Right, right, right. Now, before I go to the next question, you guys are almost there on the likes. One point two thousand likes. If you can get it to fifteen hundred, I'll do a book giveaway. And okay, I'll lower it one more time. All right, I'm gonna lower this one more time. <laughs> I'll do a book giveaway for the one point five. Okay, that's our deal. All right, I will do the trip giveaway for two thousand. Come on, two thousand likes. Okay, so comment, comment, comment. That'll get more people watching. The more people that watch, the more people that will like. So even if you liked it, you can help speed this along by commenting, and your comments will actually enter you to win. Also, don't forget, I'm going to get to the next question right now, but if you believe in what we're doing, you want to support the live streams, the videos, all that we're doing around the world, the events, we don't charge for any of these things because freely we receive, so freely we give. Support us. Give a one-time gift or become a monthly partner by going to davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. If everybody on here just gave 25 bucks, 50 bucks, some of you can do 100 bucks, some of you can do 1,000. If everybody does something, we will really see an increase come in because we have several of you watching, and that's what we love about Viral Revival. It's our spirit family is what we refer to you as. Always a large group of believers who come together for the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But help get behind us. Support this ministry. Give and it shall be given is what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God above all else, and then all these things shall be added unto you. So you can give via the super chat. We recommend instead you give at davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Give a one-time gift. Look, can you do 25 bucks? Can you do 50? Can you do 100? Can somebody watching, a couple of you do 1,000? Do that, and you'll help us meet our weekly need. Every week we have certain needs, and all that you give goes straight into the ministry for all of the various things that we do. You're giving a general donation. And any surplus that we have at the end of every month, we put that, some of it, into Project ETV to help build the new studio. So help us do it. You believe in what we're doing. You've been blessed by the content. You like the Holy Spirit School. You like the live streams. You like the events. You like the media that we put out. Support it, guys. It takes multiple millions of dollars a year to keep this ministry operating. So consider partnering monthly and giving a one-time gift to help us continue what we're doing. We surely will appreciate it. And I'll actually be able to see your names as you give. If you give while we're live at davidhernandezministries.com slash donate, I'll actually be able to see your names coming in live 
on my phone, and it will tell me when you've given. So again, davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Give a one-time gift. Will you do 25 bucks? Can you do 50? Can you do 100? Can a few of you do 1,000? The rest of you, partner with us. $10 a month, you can do that. That's doable in any economy, and I know the Lord will bless you for it. He will bless you for it. Don't worry about the future. God's going to take care of you. Help this ministry continue to go and grow strong. We have been growing month over month. Our reach is expanding. Lives are being changed. You want to win souls. You love the Lord. Give through this ministry to the Lord. DavidHernandezMinistries.com slash donate or DavidHernandezMinistries.com slash partner. Um, actually, just go to donate. You can actually sign up for monthly gifts at the donate button too. And again, I will see the names and I actually see several of your names coming in right now. Thank you for all of you who are giving. I will give the Lord thanks. As we continue, go ahead, Steve. All right, and before we get to the next question, thank you guys so much for all of your comments. The chat has been on fire this whole stream. Again, guys, like this stream, comment, and share this with someone who needs it. Um, it's a powerful subject that we've been talking about. I know there are so many questions coming in right now, so I'm going to try to read as many as I can, but this next one comes from our friend Serenity. Serenity asked earlier in the stream, and this one I believe, uh, this topic, uh, it, it's very, very interesting, and I think, Digo, you'll have fun with this one. Okay. Serenity asked, can items get possessed? <laughs> I've been told so many different things about the matter. Uh, great question. We see certainly in the scripture that items can be anointed. I mean, look at Elisha's bones. Mm -hmm. You have the handkerchief, Peter's shadow. We can name all sorts of different things that caused um, that tangible touch of the anointing. Nowhere in Scripture do we necessarily, at least in the New Testament, I should say, nowhere in the New Testament do we see that objects themselves can be cursed. In the Old Testament, anything that was used in the act of idolatry was considered cursed. Um, anything that was sacrificed to idols was considered cursed and so forth. In the New Testament, you do have one instance in the book of Acts where they burned these books that were evil. Um, but I don't know if they were burning them because demons had attached to them or if they were burning them because the information inside was anti-Christ. Whatever the reason, the Bible doesn't actually give us anything in the New Testament specifically on this. So I can't answer the question directly, nor is it important. Because if it was important, the Bible would have mentioned it. So often you'll get, you know, these lists. Here's a list of things that can be cursed. You know, I, I just, right. I, it gives me a headache, man. Like, so pe people, mm -hmm. such Pharisees, such Pharisees. Here's, here's all the things that you have to avoid. Look, right, right. if objects can be cursed because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the moment you touch it, every curse is lifted, okay? You carry Come the on. power of God on you. That doesn't mean you go practicing things that you shouldn't be practicing. It doesn't mean you go welcoming and looking for these things. It just means you don't have to be paranoid, okay? You're good. Amen, and thank you for that question. So we're going to go ahead and go to another question. This one is actually very, very uh, an another very interesting question here. This came earlier in the stream. This is from our friend Ashton. Ashton wanted to know, can animals be possessed and would you need a deliverance session for your pet? <laughs> it's a well-known fact that all cats are demon-possessed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't, please, don't, please don't quote me on that. That's just a joke. And there's a lot of cat lovers in here. I know the chat's going to be so <laughs> right. mad at me right now. Look, I, I myself am a cat person. Steve, tell him I'm a cat person. He is a cat guy. Okay, he can verify that. My cat, Didi, as some of you uh, well remember. Um, Anyway, can animals be demon-possessed? Well, yeah, because the demons went into the pigs in Mark 5. So, yes, animals can be demon-possessed. Should they go through a deliverance session? I'm not quite so sure that you can get a cat to answer <laughs> how the devil got in. But, um, no, if you, it's possible. Look, it's possible. And I could tell you some crazy stories about demon-possession. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you one here. I won't 
name the names or anything like that, but a deliverance session where the, the demon came out of the person, they got delivered, and the moment the person got delivered, the cat started flipping out, hmm. ran outside, and when, when it was discovered outside, the cat was actually, it looked like it had, and forgive me if I'm being too graphic, looks like something had exploded from the inside of it. So, yeah, strange things like that happen. Can I support that with Scripture? Yeah, the, the, the pigs in Mark 5, that's, that's the closest you're going to get to that. But as to instructions as how to specifically drive demons out of animals, the Bible doesn't give us that, so please stay away from that. Steve? All right, so this next question is a very interesting topic. As all these questions have been, my goodness, this again, this topic is, is questions galore, but I thank you guys so much. This one comes from our friend Leanne. Leanne wanted to know, is it bad for Christians to celebrate Halloween or watch horror movies? Um, I advise against it because anything that glorifies darkness just isn't something that you want to be a part of. Don't, don't risk it, okay? So remember, I talked about the fact that Christians can be influenced by demons. So when it comes to these types of things, don't put yourself in that position. Look, we're, we're free. We have the power of the Holy Ghost, but don't be foolish, don't go putting yourself in these places because it actually makes you more susceptible to what? Deception. And you don't want deception either. Look, just because you can't be possessed doesn't mean you can't be influenced. How do demons influence us? Through deception. Deception comes through what we take in from demonic beings, and they work through mediums like television and movies and so forth. So, no, don't, don't celebrate the dark side of Halloween. Can you celebrate October 31st? Sure. Go, go, go celebrate like a fall festival or something, but don't participate in the occultic dynamics of Halloween. Take the night back for the Lord. Make it holy on your, on, uh, as your own. But, um, but certainly don't go participating in those things. Don't, uh, we, don't, we don't allow horror movies in my house. Not, Amen. not something we allow in my home. That's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a no-no for sure because I don't, want, I don't want to give the enemy any ground to have right. any level of influence, even though I know I'm protected from possession and oppression and demonization. doesn't mean I want to invite other types of influence. So yes, be free, but please be wise. Next question. So our friend, uh, speaking about oppression, my friend Aaron wanted just a little bit of clarification, if you can. Can Christians then be demon oppressed, not possessed? Um, again, that comes back to the wordplay I was talking about. Think about the fact that the word oppressed isn't even in the Bible. You'll see possessed in the English versions, but that original word should actually be demonized, as we went over with the Greek in, earlier in the message. So when you're talking about oppression, you're still talking about ownership and slavery, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed, meaning there's no restraint on me. There's nothing oppressing me. So not even, believers can't even be oppressed. And by the way, oppression is a term that was invented by deliverance ministries when they realized that Christians couldn't be possessed, so they had to invent a new term. Mm. The new one now, I think, is demonization. But if you go back to the original language on demonization, you'll find that it actually specifically means possession. So, no, Christians can't be op oppressed, but they can be influenced. Remember, they can be influenced through deception. That's the key. We thank you for that. And again, guys, if you would like your questions asked, just go ahead and drop them right now in the comment section. Let's spam the comment section with all your questions. Um, we're going to go ahead and take another question and Steve, here. Steve, if you don't go mind, right I'm going to actually uh, go through and thank some people. Alicia yep. Serta gave at DavidHernandezMinistries.com. Ministries.com. Thank you, Alicia. Our dear friend Carla Laskowski gave at DavidHernandezMinistries.com. Ministries.com. Alex Rodriguez gave to the ministry. Thank you, Alex. I also see Isaac Aguilar, our good friend. Isaac is becoming a regular viewer too, Steve. Isaac, Isaac Aguilar. He gave a one-time gift at davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. 
Angela Hamilton gave a one-time gift. Thank you. And Galen and Pam Mays gave a one-time gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, guys, your donations help to support everything we're doing at the ministry. It's so, so important that you give. Look, if you receive something tonight, please put something in. So I know sometimes there's that fear of, oh, my goodness, if I give, what if I'm not taken care of? I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. It's precisely because we know that God will meet our every need, that we are free to give toward the gospel. So please consider a gift today. Thank you so much. And Steve, we'll read that question, and then Ruben will go ahead uh, to you after Steve's question. All right, this next question comes for our friend James. James wanted to know, Diga, please speak to the idea that Christians who are sick are not possessed. Excellent question. Hold on real quick. I'm texting something to Steve here because this is a live stream and there really are no breaks in live streams. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Okay. Ask that one more time, my friend, if you still have it in front of you. James wanted to know, Diga, please speak to the idea that Christians who are sick are not, are not possessed. Okay. Christians who are sick are not possessed. Okay. Sickness is not a form of ownership. It's an ailment of the body. When the scripture talks about sickness, there are times that it mentions demonic influence All sickness is not caused by demons, but demons can cause sickness. That's very clear in Scripture. So some sickness is caused by demonic power. But just because someone has been attacked with a sickness doesn't mean that they're demon-possessed. There's nothing in the Scripture that even indicates that. Recognize that when the Lord talked about Job, he removed a certain hedge of protection and allowed the devil to cast a sickness on him, but he said, still don't touch him. In other words, he, he didn't own him. He didn't, he didn't possess him. He was still God's, but he still went through sickness. I mean, try telling me that Timothy was, was possessed with the demon. A little wine for your stomach's sake? Right. Timothy, Timothy was sick. Paul, some scholars believe, was sick. There are instances in Scripture where you'll see believers who were sick. Nowhere does it say, oh, cast that devil out. It says, pray for them, lay hands. In fact, the laying on of hands for the sick... And the casting out of devils is often mentioned in two different breaths, meaning they're two different ideas. Of course, there is some linkage sometimes, but this doesn't mean that all sickness is caused by devils. But of course, sometimes it can be. And if it is, it doesn't mean that the person is possessed. I want to thank Didden Thorenfelt for becoming a monthly partner. Thank you so much. Gary Bino also gave a one-time gift. Thank you so much. Suri Naidu gave a one-time gift. Thank you for your generous support. They're giving at davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Go and do that right now. Don't say, oh, someone else will do it. Someone else will take care of it. I'm just enjoying the live stream. Spirit family, we need you. I'm talking to you. Go right now, give a one-time gift, or become a monthly partner right now. And I know you won't regret it. Ruben. Kirsten, welcome to Viral Revival. We're going to take your question live. Just unmute yourself. You're going to see the notice right in front of you. Go ahead and ask your question. Um, it really relates to um, children. Steve, we'll throw in a question. We'll come back choice. to the Zoom once they figure out how to unmute them. All right. This next question comes from our friend Viri. Viri says, what can you say about the transference of spirits? I heard a Christian saying that if you hold someone or something that has a demonic spirit, it will transfer to you. Um, again, these are, these are things that people say, but they have to be able to back them with the word. You just don't see that. It's not in the word. So it's very difficult to even respond to these sort of things because, I mean, there's no scripture necessarily contradicting it other than the ones that I showed you. And there's no scripture that supports it. So why even go there? Why even obsess about these things? This transferring of spirits. Can a spirit, a demonic spirit, even come near to someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Not in that way. So no, you can you can be certain that's probably again just dead religion, uh, trying to mm. pass itself as powerful. Ruben, go ahead. Nicholas, welcome to Viral Revival. You're going to see a notice to unmute yourself, and then you're going to ask your question. Go ahead, my friend. Um, it's a question about the Holy Spirit. Okay, what's your question? I know that every believer once has accepted the Holy Spirit, has the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a confusion. Okay. Does whole humanity has the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is waiting to be activated, and all this teaching of today about warfare can be done, or you need... I don't know. I okay, think about your question. We'll come right back to you. Ruben will come back to him when he knows uh, what he's going to ask. Steve, anything on the comments right now? Yes, yeah, so we have another question from our friend Morel here. Morel wanted to know, I have a question. What if a Christian falls into sin? Can they be possessed or a demon attached to them? No. No, 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 and no. Now, there is that thing that says, the, the, the scripture, that idea that says, well, hand them over to Satan. In other words, let the enemy have his way with them. But this is not the same language as demonize. Remember, that word is key. In other words, bring them over into the world. Let them, let them experience the fullness of their consequences in leaving the faith, and then they'll come back humbly. But this is not saying that, therefore, a demon will enter them, control their physical capacities, and be attached to them until they go through some deliverance session. Again, these are stretching these beliefs, and we shouldn't do it. So, uh, no, that, that's, that's not something that happens either. But you shouldn't sin. What it will do is, is cause it, to be very difficult to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. What that will do is cause you emotional and mental damage. Right, what that right. will do is cause you to become addicted to something that you shouldn't be doing. What it will do is damage your testimony. There's a lot of damage that comes with it. Demon possession, demonization, demon oppression. Scripturally speaking, that's just not the case. I'm going to read off some names here. Thank you to Heather Messer who just became a monthly partner. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Doreen, who just gave a one-time gift. Thank you also to Nini Wilson, who gave a one-time gift. And thank you to Sheila Wardlaw, who just became a monthly partner. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Okay, Ruben, uh, let's see if we can bring Nicholas back on. Nicholas, do you know your question now, my friend? Yeah, yes, I have already. Okay, um, what's your question? Does the Holy Spirit leave in all of us? or only in the believers waiting to show us the truth that you have speaking today. The Holy Spirit only dwells in the believers. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 tells us that those who don't have the Holy Spirit aren't the children of God. Ephesians tells us that the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation. So only believers have the Holy Spirit, and every believer has the Holy Spirit the moment they are saved. Steve? Thank, thank you. And this next question is going to come from our friend Morgan. Morgan wanted to know, I wonder why that when Christians are possessed, they always say it's a spirit of a certain sin, like spirit of lust, spirit of suicide. Does each sin have a type of demon attached to it? Every demonic being will do whatever it takes to get you to sin. Temptation, remember, is a part of deception. The deception specifically being that what you want is greater than what you have, and therefore you give in to that temptation. Now, the reason you see this so often is because people see it so often. Hmm. So they saw, oh, how did the demon get in? They've been taught again and 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 again. Demons enter through sin. Demons enter through sin. Demons enter through sin. Demons enter through sin. And so, of course, when you ask them, how did demons enter? They're going to go, oh, sin. And then they go, how did it enter in me? Oh, here's my sin. And they're going to name their sin. So this, again, is, is, is dangerous because it's psychologically damaging to people who are in a very vulnerable state 
And we have to be careful with that. And we have to be responsible with the Word of God. We have to be responsible with the Holy Spirit's authority that He gave us, because we do have that authority. So the things that we say carry weight to people. And this is why we have to move away from those damaging religious teachings that attach a demon to all these things. Now, I know there's probably some shaking their head. Oh, no, don't tell them that, David. They're just going to go on sinning. Well, doesn't the Bible tell us not to sin anyway? Hmm. I mean, do we have to add imaginary consequences, or should we just preach the truth and let the Holy Spirit do His work? We have to stop with this. We have to stop with the religious, powerless nonsense. Don't sin because it grieves the Holy Spirit. Don't sin because it... It, it inhibits your ability to hear the voice of God. Don't sin because it damages your prayer life. Don't sin because it ruins your testimony. Don't sin because it robs you of divine dignity. Let's not add something else on there just because we like the idea of being needed for casting it out. It's, it's just something we have to be rid of. Guys, whatever question you have, just match it with the word. Say, is the excellent question. Thank you for answering it or asking it. Thank you. Thank you. This question comes from our friend Marcus. Marcus wanted to know, is there a tie between mental health and demonic? There can be, just like sickness. Think about it. Mental illness is a sickness. Sometimes they are naturally occurring sicknesses, and sometimes they are demonically influenced sicknesses. Sometimes they're naturally occurring sicknesses that are agitated, prolonged, and intensified by demonic influences. So demons can cause mental illness, but not all mental illness is a cause of the is caused by the demonic. It's mm. just not the case. So you have to break it down case by case. Sometimes you're dealing with demons. Otherwise, you're dealing with people who have very severe mental illnesses, and those are real. And that's who I'm trying to protect here. Because you get someone with OCD sitting in a room for hours being told that they have a devil. Guess what? They're going to think they have a devil. You get someone with anxiety sitting in a room for hours being told you definitely have a demon, and no matter, told you definitely have a demon, and no matter what you say, you're wrong. Guess what? They're going to start imagining that they too have a devil. And that plays upon their anxiety and their OCD and their mental illness. And it makes them vulnerable. Wow, they have wow. a highly emotional response that we call deliverance. Mm. And it's taking advantage of the weaker among us. It's taking advantage of people in a vulnerable state. And I just won't stand for it. I want to see the power of God demonstrated in fullness. I don't want to, I don't want to settle for this religious garbage. I want to see the fullness of his power. And we thank you for that question. So we're going to go ahead and move on to another question here over on the YouTube chat. And again, guys, if you have a question, go ahead and leave it right now in the comment section. Let's continue to spam that comment section with questions in regards to the topic. It's such an amazing, amazing topic again. And before so, you go there, Steve, go right I ahead. just want to say that we have a lot more people to thank here. I want to thank Chantal Mata for becoming a monthly partner. Thank you, Tiffany McAllister, for a one-time gift. Thank you, Amanda Ortega, for your one-time gift. Thank you, Olatan Agubiadi, for your one-time gift. Thank you to Maria Rosales for your one-time gift. Thank you, Roger, for becoming a monthly supporter of the ministry. Thank you, David Lee, for your one-time gift. And thank you, Marita Bo, our dear friend, for your one-time gift. Everyone there gave at davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. And we thank you again. And over on YouTube Super Chat, I just want to say thank you guys so much. We've seen your gifts. They were flying so quickly. I wasn't able to get the names, but thank you, everybody, that gave via YouTube Super Chat. So this next question comes from our friend, Tyler. Tyler wanted to know, what are your thoughts about pastors that say we need multiple deliverances, even though we feel no oppression anymore? This, this, is, this is a point... I feel like Jesus, <laughs> he's just right. looking at the Pharisees going, oh, 
You make it so hard for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. You make it so hard. Just, just it, it's, it's, it's something, it's manipulation and control and religion. And it's the same spirit that was on the Pharisees. It's religious. You have to do this, this, and this to be free. You have to come through us to be free. Look, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Mm. That's what the Bible says. I don't care what a preacher says. I care about what the Word of God says. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Completely no oppression, no possession, no demonization. Done. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come on. Not there is partial freedom. Not there is freedom in certain compartments of your being, and the other parts of your being could have demons in them. There is total freedom in the Holy Spirit. Just, guys, and, and do me a favor, a little challenge to our, our spirit family. You're our army, okay? You guys help us to spread the truth. So what I want you to do, share this video on as many spiritual warfare teachings as you possibly can. Save the video. Copy it. Save that link. And any spiritual warfare teachings, post this in the comments mm -hmm. and help combat and help set people free. So help do that for us. Make sure you'll do it. If you'll do it for me, just give me a, a, a type the number one if you agree to do that for us. And you guys are actually almost to 1,500 likes, which Come will get you on, that you can book do giveaway. You can I'm going to drink my tea while Ruben, um, or while Steve reads. Actually, Ruben, we'll go to you. What's the, what's the next person? Okay, Abraham, you are on Viral Revival, my friend. What is your question? Uh, good morning, David Hernandez. Thank God you so bless much you. Okay, my question is, is self-deliverance possible? Uh, because recently, about like two months ago, I, I had a awakening for the Lord, and I started, uh, I came back to the Lord. And ever since I started uh, opening my heart for the Holy Spirit, when I sit in prayer, loose thoughts keeps coming by. I lose focus. And at times when I sit in prayer, uh, be it in the morning, the first time I do in the morning, or whether it be at night, I tend to sleep at times. But then like, I wake up and then I get back to the Word. And uh, at times it just presses me on like, okay, there is something wrong with you. I think you need deliverance. That thought just keeps come popping in my head. So is it possible that I would need it? And because I believe the scripture to be true and I stick onto the word for every, every word for it, word for word. So is there any scripture that I can hold on to uh, at this time? Because loose thoughts do come and, come and go at times. Well, keep them on, so Ruben. Don't, don't, don't mute them because I'll, I'll dialogue with him a little bit. Um, losing focus isn't a sign of demonic possession. We don't see that in Scripture. So, so this is just a problem with the mind itself. It's, it's just a matter of discipline. And again, this, this comes back to people attaching demons to almost every little thing. Like, oh, I, I, I have trouble reading the Bible sometimes. Now, there are some pastors who will jump on that and say, oh, that's a demon. Now you need me. But the reality is it's probably just the same experience that most people have when reading books, especially in our, our day and age of technology, where our attention spans are being bombarded. Uh, because of all the access that we have to information. So, of course, it's going to be hard to focus, but that doesn't mean you can't make a discipline of practicing that. Now, you, you asked, asked a question that was interesting. Is self-deliverance possible? And the answer is no, because I don't deliver me. The Holy Spirit delivers me. 
And the Holy Spirit, I'm not even the one delivering people when I pray over them for the demons to come out of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus said, if I, by the Spirit of God, am casting out demons, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. So no, self-deliverance isn't possible. It's why we need uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your question, my friend. Steve, we'll go to the comment section now. All right, this question comes from our friend Martin. And Martin wanted to know, would you recommend to stop watching movies that have magic and witchcraft in them, although they are geared towards kids? Uh, yeah, because I find those things boring anyway. <laughs> so I recommend it on that note. And then the other note again, you just, why, why, why have any, any of that? For me personally, I'm not, I'm not going to go all legalistic on you and tell you, you know, which, which movies and whatnot. That you have to look at the word. Look at the right. word. And I don't think it's legalistic to say you need to be holy. Me personally, I'm not going to invite that. Just won't do it. So that's that's my opinion, and I'm going to stick with that. I want to thank Kristen Denton for their one-time gift. I want to thank Amy Feliciano for their one-time gift, and Angelica Hinojosa for becoming a monthly partner. Now, one more time, guys. I'll say this one more time, and then I'll stop asking, okay? But I need you to go right now, davidhernandezministries.com slash donate, Become a monthly supporter. Give a one-time gift or become a monthly supporter. Do $25, do $50. Some of you can do $100, some of you can do $1,000. Go and do that right now. Help support this ministry. We're growing. We're growing rapidly. Even our YouTube channel, even the last two weeks, I think we quadrupled the growth rate. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's still going and going and going and going. And my staff had another meeting today with an organization that helps with YouTube growth. Our emailing list is growing. Our events are growing. Everything is growing. So help come under that and support it. Spirit family, I'm calling on you now. Support this ministry through a one-time gift or becoming a monthly supporter. And that's the last time I will say it. And it looks like we had a little internet drop. So go ahead and like, 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 share, share, share. Everybody put a fire emoji, the number one, the word amen, whatever you got to <laughs> do. On. Comment like crazy. We just had an internet drop and lost about 300 people right now. So let's help build this back up again. Uh, go ahead and throw out the comments. I'll read them. RubyDan74 leaves some fire emojis. Brooke Gary, that's why we can pray. Oh, Carlos says, is there a benefit from speaking the word out loud when fighting the devil? Absolutely. There's always a benefit when using the word. Um, saved by grace, you can't cast demons out of non-believers. So who are we casting demons out of? Okay, scroll back to that because that's a good one. That's actually a really good question because I've, I've heard this and this is, this is what you call a premise, an unfounded premise. I've heard this a lot. I think I lost the comment here. Da, 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 da. Excuse me, Mr. Uh, Chatbot. I need your help. Stop. Anyway, I, 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 I'm probably not going to find the question. And you guys are just James, George, um, Mino, Carlos, Jessica, Leda. You guys are awesome. Okay, looks like our viewership is starting to climb again. Don't forget to leave a like. Um, okay, this idea that, I mean, I've, I've heard it said, well, you can't, cast demons out of unbelievers so who do you cast devils out of this is a false premise where in the scripture does it say you can't cast demons out of unbelievers people will say things like oh well jesus was casting out devils in the temple well yeah there's a lot of hypocrites in the church we all know this oh, come on and it's funny to me that people often say most people in the church world aren't even saved and then on the other side of their mouth they'll say but most people we cast demons out of are saved. Well, which is it? Is the sampling of people saved or not saved? So it's perfectly biblically consistent to say 
that someone can be delivered and then saved. In fact, it happened in Mark 5. Jesus drove the demons out of the man, and then what did he want to do? He wanted to follow Jesus. He wasn't saved, then delivered. He was delivered, then saved. You can also be delivered at the moment of salvation. So, no, it's not inconsistent to say that, and unbelievers certainly can have demons cast out of them. In fact, they're the only ones who ever do.